Thanks for joining us today on the LaunchPoint Church Podcast. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error and useful for every part of our daily lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. For more information about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube, as well as visit our website at www.launchpoint.church. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the message. Three weeks ago, three weeks counting this week, we started a series titled Faithful. Because this is the one, this is the one lesson that I learned in 2023. That God doesn't want or expect me to grow the church. God doesn't want or expect me to grow the number of salvations in the church. God doesn't want or expect me to grow donations to the church. God wants me to be faithful. And in faithfulness, the church grows. In faithfulness, salvations increase. In faithful, giving increases. As we are faithful, which is the only thing God has ever called us to be, faithful to who He is and what He's commanded us to do, everything else happens. Everything else except for our submission to faithfulness is a supernatural work of God. Amen? Amen? Do you believe that? If you don't, it's okay. We'll talk about it. I mean, not right now. We'll talk about it later. But I believe that's the only thing God's called us to. And moving from 23 to 24, I wanted to talk about what we're going to be faithful to. What we are faithful to. What we've historically been faithful to here. So that if you joined us in 2023, you'll know where we stand. And if you've been here longer than that, you'll continue to remember where we stand. And so I started this series the only place I knew how. I'm a very linear thinker. And the only place I knew to start this series was God is faithful. If God is faithful, which means He's unwavering, means He's absolutely loyal and unshakable in everything that He does, and in His loyalness is present. He is there both in His omnipotence and His manifest presence. Where His presence is, His deliverance is, and where His deliverance is, His salvation is. And so because God is there, because His deliverance is there, and His salvation is there, as He is absolutely faithful to be in who He is, we should be faithful too. That's the foundation of everything that we are. We look at Jesus, we look at God, and we think, what does He look like? How does He act? And let us behave like that. And so we started this series with that. And then from there, we moved last week from if God... Excuse me. I'm all right. Don't freak out. I just, did I just belch into my microphone? <laughs> I'm doing the best I can, people. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Launch Point Church. Uh, so, 
God is faithful. And as faithful, we've been called to be faithful. We've been called to be faithful first to the Word. To the Word of God. The Word of God declares Jesus Christ. The Word of God serves three primary purposes. If you weren't here last week, I'd recommend going and listening to these sermons. But it serves three primary purposes. Those three primary purposes are... They are a revelation of the nature of God. The Word of God from front to back tells us the nature of God. From front to back, number two, the nature of God reveals to us God's redemptive plan over us. From cover to cover, you see what God did to ensure that we could be in relationship with Him. From Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation, God's restorative plan. And then finally, number three, the purpose of the Word, the primary purpose of the Word is to show us what we should look like in regard to holiness according to God's standard. And we've been called to be faithful to the Word for those reasons. Because it calls us to those things. To know who God is. To know how He redeemed us. And to know how He expects us to act after He redeems us. Amen? And then this week, I want to talk to you, thinking linearly, that if we are faithful to the Word of God, then we must be faithful to the most significant message of the Word of God, which is the Gospel. We've been called to be faithful to the Gospel. I gave you three things the, the, the Word of God is good for, but the, it is primarily the definitive declaration of God, redemptive plan of God for our life. And that happened by the Gospel, by the work of Christ Jesus. Everybody all right? So that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to do that today from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to get to that in a second. If we've been called faithful to be to the God, to be faithful to the gospel, then we must be faithful to it. Not only to tell it, but to rest in it. Listen, people tell us all the time, and primarily when I say, man, we need to be faithful to the gospel, what's the first thing you think? You think, man, I got to tell people about Jesus, right? And rightfully so, that's important. But telling people about Jesus is for those people that don't know Jesus. The reason, another reason, a secondary reason why we must be faithful to the gospel is so that we can rest in the gospel. It's for the believer too. Because as I understand what Christ did for me, who I am now because of what Christ did for me, then I find rest as I find peace in God, as I find provision in God, as I, as I find all the things associated with relationship with God through the gospel, I find rest. People all the time tell me, man, I can't, I can't find the peace I'm looking for. Study the gospel. Find out what God did to get you. You'll find peace. 
man, I don't have enough stuff. I don't, I, I don't have what I need to survive. Study the gospel. What you'll see is God will meet your need. I don't feel protected. The enemy's coming against me. Let me tell you, the gospel will tell you how well God is at protecting over and watching those who belong to him. I'm telling you, it's not just for telling other people. It's for telling ourselves. I could prove that to you in Scripture. And 1 John 2.1 says this, For if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation, that is the appeasement, for our sins. And not only for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Those of the whole world is important. Those are people that aren't saved yet. Those of the whole world. He's talking to believers right here. He says, listen, Jesus, if anyone sins, he is an advocate for him. That means if you sin after you have given your life to the Lord and have Jesus Christ as your advocate, he still is a God that forgives you. The gospel is for you. I want you all to get a hold of this so bad. I think it'll, it'll destroy the mundane, your mundane view of the gospel. It's not just for them. It's for us too. Amen? And so, if it's for those who are pre-salvation and post-salvation, we must be faithful. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says this. And when I came to you, this is Paul speaking, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superior, superiority of speech, or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing. What did he determine to know? Yes. Nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Let me tell you something. Those faithful to the gospel realize the simplicity of the gospel. This is an intentional pause. Because we muck it up all the time. We try to overcomplicate it. What I'm trying to give to you today is the assurance that you can tell both those who don't know and yourself the gospel. That you're capable of doing it. This is what he says. For I came to know, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm sorry, verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech. 
or of wisdom. Number one reason why people cite to me why they don't tell other people about the gospel is because they don't think they're smart enough. Because they don't think they have the right words to say. They think it's going to make them look foolish. Did you know the Bible was written so that a simple man can understand it? And simple man can tell it? We try to overcomplicate it by coming with superiority of words and wisdom. But that's not how it works. It's the power of God that brings salvation. Or it's the gospel that brings the power of God unto salvation. Not superiority of speech. Trust me, I know. I've tried. When we first planted the church, maybe a couple weeks after we planted the church, I got my certificate, my diploma from Liberty University for my divinity degree. That's 120 hours of education nobody needs. <laughs> I mean, it, it just is. They, they teach you a lot about church stuff, nothing about ministry. But it made me feel like I knew some stuff. And it made me want to, more than anything in the world, tell everybody the stuff that I thought I knew. I used words I didn't even understand. I had to look them up in the dictionary before I wrote them in my sermon. Let me tell you, don't ever listen to a preacher that doesn't understand the words that he's using. When we hear words like we just heard a minute ago, propitiation, what does that mean? Propitiation just means the appeasement. He appeased God's wrath. He appeased God's judgment. But I needed everybody to know how smart I was. How eloquent I was. Right, Angela? That's what you're, supposed to say. you're supposed to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing I managed to accomplish is to show how little I actually knew and to turn people off to the gospel. Now, that's a hard thing to say, man. I tell people here that have been here since the beginning, I appreciate y'all staying for the first year. I don't know why you did. Because I was arrogant. I thought I was smart, and you stayed anyway. Pastor Leonard told me one time, <clears throat> he, he said, I'm praying for you. Or something along those lines. I said, okay, thanks, man. And I asked him why. And he said, this is just a paraphrase. Because one of these days, because you're a young pastor, and one of these days, you're going to be a good pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and those of y'all that have been around a while, you know exactly what he's talking about. Now I'm a better pastor. I still ain't a good pastor, but I'm working on it. But it's because I determined to walk in wisdom, personal human wisdom, while using what the Word of, Word of God calls superiority of speech. God hasn't called us to do that. All He's called to do, us to do 
is to give the testimony of God over our life. We have to learn to get familiar with our testimony. What's a testimony? That's a religious word, man, except that it's not a religious word. Testimony is just a declaration of what I did, what I saw, or what, I, what someone else did. And so when I say I give my testimony, I'm saying I am giving a, a message, a notice. I'm communicating to you what happened to me and who was involved. It doesn't have to be complicated. It shouldn't be complicated. All I'm trying to do is build your confidence right now. That the gospel has doesn't have to be complicated. And either to say it to somebody else or say it to you. To prove this to you, I'm going to share my testimony with you. Many of you have heard it, but that's all right. Never hurts to hear your pastor's testimony. Before I give it, listen. There's something about a testimony, a true testimony. A true testimony will always be the same because it's true. A false testimony will change because it's not true. It's like any other lie. If it's not true, it's a matter of time before it changes. And so as I give my testimony, you'll recognize it because it's the testimony I give every time I give one. You know why? Because that's what happened to me. And here it is. I was a drunkard and a whoremonger. I mean, center of the worst kind. I treated people poorly. I was violent to those who didn't need violence. I don't know if there's anybody that needs violence, but they got it sometimes anyway. <laughs> I was the greatest amongst sinners. But God showed up. Let me tell you how he showed up in my life. I was 30, 33 years old and I worked at the police academy. And there's a gentleman that works there. His name is Philip Michael. He worked there. He's retired now. He worked there and he called me into his office one day. Probably the only real adult male Christian I'd ever known or that bore fruit as a real Christian. And he called me into his office. He said, hey, Cubit, come in here, because that's what they call you when you're in the police or, or uh, military. So I walked to his office. I said, yeah, what's up, man? He said, hey, have a seat. So I thought he wanted to talk about work stuff. And he said, I, mean, he sa I sat down, he looked at me, and he says, if you keep living the way that you're living, it's a matter of time before you die and go to hell. I tell you, that made me angry. I didn't like that. Who are you to be talking to me crazy in a governmental building without my permission? And I told him so. And I started to get up and walk out. And he said, I'm not done yet. Sit down. And I was raised by my grandfather. 
When an older man tells you to sit down, you sit down. Unless you're in the tone that he said it. So I sat back down and he prayed. He said, I'm going to pray over you. And so I succumbed to this prayer. And he, this is what he prayed. He prayed the most horrific prayer over me. It was terrible. He said, he prayed that God remove every relationship from me, every resource from me, everything that I had from me, that he just nailed me to the ground with conviction by the Holy Spirit until I couldn't do anything else but call out to God for help. Man, praise God, that made me mad. And so I, I said, can I go now? He said, yeah. So I get up, I walk out. I start to walk out. And he says, when you do get to the end of yourself, and you will, because God answers my prayer, I want you to come to church with me. Y'all, I don't know if you've heard me say this or not. That's the reason why I tell you, invite people to your Jesus before you invite them to your church. If they'll see Jesus in you, hear Jesus coming out of you, they'll go to your church. Because the world is dying for hope and you've just presented them the only real hope that there is. But he told me, he said, if you'll, in a year, or whenever you're at the end of yourself, come to church with me. Fast forward one year later, I meet Angela. And she essentially tells me pretty quick, I like you. I was like, well, I like you too. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in my house. <laughs> That's the kind of guy I was then. And she said, but I can't. I can't date you if you won't go to church with me. And I just know I wasn't saved yet. I still had a carnal mind. And so what I'm about to tell you is a, is a carnal thought. I thought, I rationalized going to church like this. I'll go to church. I, I'll trade one hour a week for the possibility of sex. That sounds like a good trade. That's how carnal people think. Little did I know that her mama raised her right and she didn't have sex with me till we got married anyway. And one hour turned into 60 hours a week or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, regardless, I decided I'm going to go to church with her. The only church I'd ever been invited to was my buddy's church. And it just happened to be a couple miles down the road, so we went there. I sat in that church for three months. Nothing, just deadpan, fulfilling my obligation. Until my pastor gave his testimony. Remember, we're talking about testimonies. Gave his testimony. And in his testimony, the Spirit of God provoked me, nailed me to the floor with conviction until I couldn't do anything else but cry out for him. And my wife will tell you, 
Like I never made it to the altar. They did a big altar call. I was saved right there in my seat. But my wife will tell you, I walked in church, one Jim Cubic, and I walked out of church a completely different Jim Cubic. That's the power of a testimony. His testimony, say, was the conduit by which God used to save me. My testimony has been the conduit by which other people were saved. Your conduit that others might be saved is your testimony. But you have to give it like you regularly talk. This is how I regularly talk. I can't do it with fancy words or godly or manly wisdom, I mean. Does everybody understand where I'm coming with this? You have to be who you are. Declare what God did for you using words that you would normally use. You know why you would use words you normally use? Because you're hanging out with the people you normally hang out with. And the reason you're hanging out with those people is because y'all talk the same. And they understand you. Amen? But that's just the first verse. It gets so much more beautiful. It says this, For I determined to know nothing. What did he determined to know? Means he was willing to give up his superiority of speech and his wisdom among you except Jesus Christ and know in him crucified. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What do you determine to know? What do you determine that other people should know? My prayer is that it is Christ and Him crucified. He gave up His life for you. If you'll read Matthew chapter 27, you're going to find the horrible beating that Jesus took on your behalf. The blasphemy that he took on your behalf. The mocking that he took on your behalf. The crucifix. The cross that he was nailed to. Stabbed in his side. Giving up his spirit so that you might be saved, so that I might be saved. Amen? And resurrected so that through that salvation, I might have hope. And that's good. Do you believe that? I asked this question a couple weeks ago, I think. Maybe last week. Do you believe that what you say you believe, you really believe? That's a tough question. Break it down. There's a lot of believes in there. Do you believe that what you say you believe is really real? Say it again. Do you believe that what you say you believe is really real? And if you do, why aren't you declaring the gospel? 
Because if you say you believe, if you believe what you say you believe is really real, then the consequence is that there are people that should hear your testimony that aren't hearing your testimony that are going to end up in hell because you kept it shut up in your mouth. And then the natural question is, who do you hate enough to condemn to hell? That's a tough question right there. Who do you hate enough to condemn to hell? And I don't hate anybody that bad. You know why I'll tell anybody the gospel? I don't care who they are, what they are, what they look like, what they smell like, how much money they come, they have, what part of town they come from. I, I don't care about any of that. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't care about any of that. Jesus died for us and had to because we were all sinners, both by birth and by action. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Guys, this is the greatest truth of all time. And some of us had a greater, more visceral reaction to Alabama's coach retiring this week. Y'all understand how horrible that is? I mean, have your sports teams. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not dogging sports teams. But if your sports team creates a greater reaction in you, a more vehement reaction in you, than the fact that Jesus Christ died for you, and for those who don't know him yet, so that you might declare the gospel greater than it provokes in you, you got an idol problem in your life. Oh man, I'm just visiting. I don't need this in my life. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're visiting, but you do need this in your life. I mean, I'm not actually sorry you're visiting. I'm glad you're visiting, but you still need this in your life. Amen? Here's the two things that I would add, or not that I would add, that Paul would add. The gospel is simple, and we're committed to it. But no matter how simple it is, if our commitment isn't done in humility, it won't work. Verse 4 reads like this. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words. Of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's a humble statement. That's a statement of humility. My message, the gospel, and my preaching, me talking about the gospel. Or not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. It ain't me. That's what he's saying. It ain't me. It's the power of God. So as we declare the gospel, as we're faithful to the gospel, we have to be humble. Verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on wisdom of men, 
but on the power of God. And the last thing I would say to you is that if we're going to be faithful to the gospel, we must understand that the result ain't our problem. I told you the primary reason people don't declare the gospel is because they're afraid they're going to sound foolish. The secondary reason is because they think they're going to fail. You can't fail if you're obedient. Did you hear me? Because the, the outcome isn't your problem. It's the power of God that saves them, not you. You might be the person that plants the seed. You might be the person that waters or the person that prunes or the person that picks the fruit. And quite honestly, we should concern ourselves with those things. We should concern ourselves with being faithful to the gospel, Christ in him crucified, not in our own intellect, recognizing that it's by the power of God people are saved. Amen? That's what I would have you say. That's what I would have you know. If I'm going to be faithful to the gospel, I got to be faithful too that God is faithful to the gospel. And so I, I've declared the gospel to you. I've declared my testimony to you in the, in the easiest format that I've ever, well, it's in the same format I've always used. I was, but God, I am. I was this thing, but God showed up in this way, and now I am this. By using the word of God that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise. And the acquisition is Romans 10, 9. I declare with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. By believing in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. God makes it very simple for us. Declare lordship and believe. Which means turn your life over completely and believe. Do you know, though, lordship's tough. Because sometimes, well, sometimes we're fallible. Lordship means I'm going to do what I'm told, when I'm told, how I'm told. When God says jump, I ask how high. But a lot of times, because we're fallible, God tells us to do stuff. And we don't do it. Or he tells us to act a certain way and we fail. But you know what I know? That when I fail, when I fall short, God's faithful to forgive me. Set me back on the right path. And even when I fade, or even when I slip away, he brings me home. And so I ask you, if that's the message that saves, if that's the only message that saves according to Acts 12, Acts 4.12, what are you going to do with it? You don't know Jesus. 
You can. If you've known Jesus, but allowed yourself to slip away, you are one prayer away from righteousness. Because God is faithful to forgive. Amen.